0: Being the Worst, Episode 16, recorded Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst Podcast, audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman, with your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullah. In this episode, a listener's questions lead Carrie and Renat into the details of value objects. They review several examples of value objects and cover some pros and cons of their usage. This very important concept is commonly used to represent the nouns in the sentences of our ubiquitous language. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Yeah, here's Carrie and Renat again. I say that all the time, whatever. Renat, how you doing? We're gonna talk about projections today, right?
1: Yes, we're going to uh, talk about the projections and synchronous event handlers, and that will be actually the uh, start and introduction to the projections, the way they are done in look at CRS.
0: Cool. I think I've been asking about those probably for, uh, I don't know, three months now, and you've been patiently putting me off and say, yes, I know you want to be able to put something on the screen, but please learn some of these concepts before you jump right to the rendering phase of the data. So, uh, absolutely, absolutely. yeah, so I'm glad we're getting into that. But I realized uh, why it's taken a little time to get here. Because obviously, when we started this journey, I wasn't that familiar with all the cool stuff that we were going to be able to pull off with uh, the specifications we were putting so much time into, like with the diagrams and everything in the last episode. So, Totally get it now. Um, Before we get into the projection stuff, though, we actually had uh, some comments on the beingtheworst.com website on some of the episodes. And uh, there was a question from Matthew that I was going to read and have you answer, if that's okay. Terrific. Cool. And thank you, uh, Matthew, for uh, adding your questions. You added two. We'll probably get to one of your other ones in a later episode. It's more of an advanced topic. But for this one, we're going to get into, you asked, regarding value objects how often do you use them as parameters on events and commands or pass them directly into aggregate methods
1: okay that's a really really good question because for me value objects were probably one of the most important discoveries that happened in my development career like during the last half year or maybe year and uh, as we've talked earlier value object is our way to encapsulate some related concepts and maybe some related behaviors into a single class and pass it as one entity. This reduces, for instance, number of fields or properties on command messages or event messages, and hence it reduces number of arguments in aggregate methods. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, when you're starting to build a new project or starting to explore uh, a new domain trying to capture it in the code, initially we will have uh, value objects which are persisted directly. So you'll have value objects that have serializable fields. So you might have uh, multiple commands and events. For instance, like in the factory sample, we have a value object called shipment, I believe, and there are car parts value objects. And these are just named collections of some other properties inside them that just bring them together and provide coherent meaning. Mm -hmm. However, there is an inherent problem with this value object. It is used uh, to transfer data. But if we added a little bit of behavior to this value object, then we'll have kind of data transfer object, uh, which is both contains behaviors and contains data. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it is really good and it is really important. Well, if it's obviously worth the effort, uh, which is the case in early complicated scenarios like medical scenario, social security scenario, banking scenario, to separate value object into two different concepts. One concept being the data transfer object for the value object. And the other part being value object itself with the behaviors. Similarly to how we have aggregate state, which is uh, like some state in memory Mm -hmm. and aggregate behavior class. Similarly, we can split value object as something complex uh, into two distinct uh, aspects. Storage DTO for the value object and behavioral DTO, which we use in our code. So ideally, when we have a really well-developed and complex domain, the things that we'll be passing as parameters through the aggregate methods or as uh, properties on event messages and command messages will be data part of value objects. So uh, value object with uh, some properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when these commands and uh, events, they land in our code, for instance, when they are passed to the aggregate, we'll convert, them, we'll convert this data uh, object uh, into some class which is not serializable but contains maybe some behaviors or methods this way if we need to version events that reference or use this value object we'll have a clear distinction between the code that uh, requires versioning for the sake of versioning issues or for the sake of serialization issues or the code that we change and which affects behaviors
0: So when you have a value object that's passing just the data around, that's the stuff that's serializable and that we worry about for versioning. If we have an application service that takes a command and inside that command there's a value object that has some data we want to use, and if we wanted to add behavior onto that data, you said we would convert it like maybe inside the application service to something else?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, So if we have a coherent uh, entity, that not only uh, is used to transfer a collection of data snippets around together, but it also some uh, distinct behavior, really small distinct behavior, maybe a few sentences of a story, not worth to be an aggregate.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But this behavior is coherent. Then uh, it might be worth like to have a separate class that accepts the data transfer object and exposes the data of this data structure as methods.
0: And in in our in the past examples, when you use the term data transfer object or dto is it literally what we've already done, and that's just using the value object as a container for properties basically
1: yes okay uh, and our messages they are our data transfer objects as well these are just structures which can be serialized in order to be persisted on disk or transferred for the network
0: okay is a dto always serializable
1: uh not necessarily. Times uh, DTOs, They can be uh, like, for instance, in uh, multi-layered architectures, where we have a database layer, which is accessed by application layer. In this case, database layer can return like methods on the database layer. They can return like query results as data transfer objects. In this case, uh, we pass data from one part of the code to another part of the code within the same process, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't need to serialize.
0: So I think probably my real question was, how would you define the difference between a value, what we call a value object and what other people say is a DTO?
1: Oh, uh, so DTO is any entity which is used to transfer data. Value object is a concept uh, which is extremely important and it comes from domain-driven design. Okay. Like among the two core concepts of domain-driven design, uh, when we talk about uh, development patterns, we have two. One is value object, and another one is aggregate. Mm-hmm. And aggregate for us, it's uh, an entity with a unique identity, uh, and we're this entity uh, might have changing behaviors or uh, maybe some changing uh, information associated with that, and this information will be changing for the lifetime of this entity. Mm-hmm. However, uh, as this entity evolves and changes, we're still interested to track, like if that it is the same entity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For example, when a baby is born, he is uh, given his I don't know national ID number, mm-hmm. and then as he grows, as he uh, when, if it's a, if it is a girl, as she marries, like the first name can change, last name can change, marriage status can change, relationship uh, can change, but the identity will still stay the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the contrary, value object is something that it's an object identity of which we don't care about. But we care only about the values that it represents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just like aggregate uh, is a coherent concept which can be expressed in ubiquitous language, uh, value object is a coherent concept as well. And it is uh, also part of the ubiquitous language. So, uh, for instance, we have factory which is uh, an aggregate in our case, and it is part of this uh, domain slang. Uh, value object uh, is uh, part of this domain slang as well, and in our case, like value objects are logically smaller concepts than aggregates. Mm-hmm. To get the distinction between uh, aggregates and value objects, uh, there is a really good uh, example of comparison, which I heard from Greg Young, which is like: consider a cup of coffee. Is a cup of coffee a value object or an entity?
0: Mm, probably I don't know it depends on the context I would think because Starbucks might want to know the idea of the coffee but I may only care if it's full
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it depends on the context so mm-hmm. if, I'm, uh, if I want to, uh, to have a cup of coffee I don't really care if uh, I choose the, uh, the one on the right or I choose the one on the left they're equivalent mm-hmm. however consider a $5 bill for me, five dollar bill is a value object because it's completely replaceable. Uh, I mean, uh, it can be replaced with other uh, five dollar bill, or maybe it can be replaced by uh, five one dollar bills. Mm-hmm. For the Federal Reserve Bank, each five dollar bill is an entity because it uh, for them it is important that they, uh, each five dollar bill has a unique identity, and they're uh, like keeping track of each individual bill. And if actually in their system there are two $5 bills with the same number, then probably one of them is fake. Yep. And they're interested in uh, like, to, in tracking lifetime of this uh, $5 bill, how it is being uh, created, then it has, how it circulates around the country, uh, then how it is maybe marked to be a part of the uh, bribe, and then how it is being destroyed.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So, so context is very important. In, in DDD, the context really does help you determine if this particular thing is an entity which has an identity we care about in this domain or if it's a value object where we don't care about it's a unique identity.
1: Yeah. Context uh, sets us, like, allows us to figure out which aspects are important for us and which aspects are not important for us. Okay. And uh, so uh, terminology, value object and aggregates or, to be correct, uh, value object versus entity it's uh, just some uh, commonly used patterns uh, that we stick to just to make sure that uh, the stuff I speak is at least barely understandable by other people who are into DDD. Mm-hmm.
0: And and would you say that then all value objects are by definition DTOs? Yes. Okay. Okay, okay cool. Then that makes sense. So because we have... Our DDD concept of value objects, that can be represented as DTOs when we're passing the data around with their properties. We are concerned about the versioning attributes and not mixing and matching the behavior with just the properties. And when we start throwing small stories of behaviors onto these value objects, that stuff we would tend to do hidden away from our messages and the external consumers of them so that we don't have to worry about the versioning stuff. And does any example come to mind on like when you've actually taken the values of a value object and added small behaviors to them?
1: Absolutely. For instance, a value object called currency amount. Hmm. Currency amount, it's, uh, when it is persisted in the database or when it is persisted in some DTO, it contains two fields, type of the currency and the amount of money in this currency.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So persistence of this value object is really simple. However, the behavior of this value object, it's, I think it was a class of at least 300 lines of code. This uh, value object had methods like add different currencies or this value object was actually making sure that if I try to subtract one currency from another currency and the currencies are completely different, that it will throw an exception. Mm-hmm. Because uh, $5 uh, minus 2 euros, uh, it does make sense. We have first to convert them. Yep. Using like the current ratio, so this was a, a really small thing, just a new concept of uh, amount in a certain currency, how they're introducing it, simplified the billing code of a multi-currency balance management system a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like before, I introduced the uh, the notion, the concept of uh, currency amount. I had uh, a lot of like various checks and uh, double checks and the code was ugly and it was uh, kind of repeating over and over again. By hiding this complexity inside a coherent, small, like uh, the class logically is really small. It can be explained in a few sentences. We took this repeating code, uh, repeating uh, currency amount checks, and stuffed them into this small value object called currency amount. Anybody who sees the currency amount in the code can uh, can immediately understand what the heck it is about. Mm -hmm. And it's Uh, First, it made the code simpler because the checks are uh, done now inherently because currency amount knows that uh, it just does not allow adding different currencies or it doesn't allow uh, dividing a currency uh, by currency maybe, Mm. or it doesn't uh, allow to do some other stupid things.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really good example. It's it's adding those additional behaviors to make the domain easier to work with, but they're not aggregates because they're not. These are just sort of in transit things that we need these value objects to be a little bit smarter to protect their properties, basically, and make it make them remain consistent as they're passed around.
1: Absolutely, Uh, this is kind of like remember when we were talking about ubiquitous language, we introduced the concept uh, of like verbs. Mm -hmm. Value objects they can be perceived maybe as nouns. It is not an action. It is, it is something that is part of the language. And because it is crafted carefully, just like messages, it's coherent. And we can hide away some of the complexity, maybe some of the explicit com- complexity inside this implicit concept. Yeah. For instance, imagine I'm a traveler from, I don't know, past ages. And then I come uh, to a modern Europe or United States and I, I see cars, but I don't know the term car. And I always say, okay big metal uh, carriage that is self-propelled <laughs> and then to everybody i'll have to uh, be saying okay this big metal carriage that has to be so- is self-propelled this big metal carriage that is self-propelled or maybe i just make a mistake and i say uh this big thing that is self-propelled and somebody else will understand it it is as it is an airplane but <laughs> then i could learn that actually this means car and when i say car everybody in their heads in- immediately gets the idea okay The car, it can be Ford, it can be produced on our factory, it can be BMW, or or it can be Model T. I see. So we just uh, take a little bit of complexity, uh, a little bit of ideas, and hide them, package them nicely inside one object. And this object has a value for us. Uh, It is a part of the ubiquitous language.
0: Makes sense. And uh, just to clarify on the recording, he said value objects can be representing the nouns... Because uh, I initially heard that as nulls, U L L S, and you said the value objects actually can represent the nouns just like we had other things representing verbs. Mm-hmm. Cool. The other part of Matthew's question, which I think has already been answered, but I'll read it anyway just to make sure there's no other additional points you would want to make. So we answered the first part. The next part of his question was, do you ever end up having value objects being created by the user interface to send along with the command?
1: Yes, Absolutely. For instance, one of the uh, most commonly used value objects is uh, identity, like factory ID. Factory ID is a value object. Or uh, if command uh, expresses some behavior and maybe we have a command uh, bringing stuff to the cargo bay.
0: It was like uh, unpack shipment in inventory or something like that?
1: Transfer shipment to cargo bay. Mm -hmm. So uh, this command already has uh, quite a few value objects. And actually, in the, not ideal, but in the extreme scenario, which some people try to even to achieve, they will not have any native values. So they will not have any integers, they will not have any strings. Every native uh, variable in their case, like, for example, the stuff that is being used by commands, will be hidden inside a value object. So it will not be a string. It will be email, or it will be a first name, or it will be a last name, and people can actually add quite a lot of validation logic, even to the very attempt to create this value object. For instance, if we have value object called email, the code, the logic hidden in, inside this email value object can prevent us from creating an invalid email address. So this way, when uh, we, if we manage to compose command and send it to a server, uh, first, server might pretty much assume that the email was created correctly and it doesn't need to do uh, any validation checks. Uh, or second, it can actually just, in case the command was hacked and sent by some bad guys, it can just call email.validate. So uh, in this case, we're using value objects not only as a way to encapsulate some knowledge, some intent, but also to ensure that the data that is being transferred inside, that or that is stored inside, that it adheres to some stricter rules than a single string might, for example, enforce. Mm-hmm. And so, in this case, the value of value objects uh, when they are used to pass the stuff from UI is that they can enforce additional validation rules, and uh, at the UI level, thus reducing the amount of uh, work that the server side has to do.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously minimizing the chances that you're sending a bad command in the first place. Yeah,
1: and uh, this way, you uh, now instead of sending to the factory I aggregate something like, hey, uh, take this big uh, square black metal box and this square thing that is made from rubber and then maybe this uh, package of really strange things that, that are really small and please try to create a self-propelling carriage uh, that is black <laughs> of that you will say, okay, take four wheels, one, one engine, and a few bolts, and make car T. model mm. of car.
0: Thus, yet another example of the value object acting as the nouns to make that sentence much more readable to normal humans. <laughs> so. uh, and then the last part of the question was, are there uh, any instances where this is a bad idea? I know that some people think that value objects should never be in command in events because their inner workings might change, However, from a readability perspective, it is a lot nicer to see value objects and parameters than a list of three to five strings.
1: Okay, as we've mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, we can avoid this issue of uh, inner workings being changed by explicitly separating the DTO part of value object and behavioral part of the uh, value object. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, this is worth it only if the, I don't know, maybe if the code is shared between multiple teams. Or if you have the different applications that have slightly different uh, life cycles. In my case, so far, since I'm trying to build my systems to be relatively small, coherent, and ideal, like every subdomain will fit in a uh, one bounded context, ideally, there is no need to like do c- a really explicit coding, really careful coding, and I just happen to mix. Uh, data transfer part of objects with uh, behavioral parts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So all, all this is stuck into one single class, which both has serializable properties and methods. Uh, this is not the most pure approach, but in this uh, specific context in these specific cases, it's most efficient ones.
0: Right. So you you've decided for now it didn't it wasn't worth the effort to do that at the expense of you you would theoretically have some versioning issues if you started messing with things and unless you changed it to deal with it
1: yes okay uh, what here what we're doing and this is applicable not only to value objects uh, but to other development principles as well we say that in this subdomain of our system we stick to this set of rules set of predefined rules that are work really best in the subdomain so for instance in subdomain of internal billing we can say that currency amount and all other value objects they have behaviors which are sitting on the same class as uh, the data uh, data generator properties. However, we might also have uh, some public uh, uh, subdomain which includes an API shared with a lot of other people. Uh, and in that case, since API is used by other systems uh, and people kind of might have versioning issues because they're developing with different speed and life cycles, we might want to explicitly differentiate data structure of uh, some value object from its behaviors. From, For instance, from its validation behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: In that uh, case, in the root level or top level readme of the subdomain or in the root level of documentation for this subdomain subsystem, we'll say that in this, uh, like, hey, new developer, like (laughs) here, the quick set of really important decisions that that we made specifically for this subdomain. Value objects are uh, implemented as separate objects. Like maybe then we store projections using this approach and our messages are invoked synchronously, et cetera, et cetera. Mm
0: -hmm we answered that question I think that's really important stuff that it turned out it's a really great question Matthew so thank you that was uh, stuff that I needed to, to have elaborated and I'm sure others listening might have had the same question so that was great stuff so Renat I'm thinking maybe because we're approaching 27 minutes on this one that we maybe wrap up any final comments around value objects and maybe split off the projections episode into its own or do you want to keep going because projections is going to take 10 minutes
1: <laughs> no actually that's a really good idea one well, well, there are quite a few, maybe a few gotchas that I've been encountering with value objects, but it's really hard to remember all the issues. Uh, one of the important distinctions that one has to make: there are, for instance, value objects in .NET, like there are value objects in C sharp, and value objects value object in C sharp language, like it's compiler level term, which means that it it is a structure.
0: Mm-hmm. It's on the stack or heap or whatever. <laughs>
1: Uh, I didn't take, I didn't have computer science classes, yes, so yeah. uh, I'm really uh, dumb when it comes to low-level stuff.
0: These are like ints, right? Like it's an integer or something. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's not par- passed by reference, it is passed by value. Yes. So there is a term, value object, in the context of a programming language. And the term that we have been using throughout this episode, it sounds similar, it's value object, but it is de- uh, value object in the context of domain-driven design. Yes. And actually, this uh, example shows us the importance of context and uh, careful picking of words, and also uh, distinguishing boundaries for these words.
0: Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> yeah, in the context of .NET, the .NET framework value objects means you know integers and stuff you just said, but mm-hmm. in the context of DDD, that has nothing to do with the .NET framework concept of value objects.
1: Yep, absolutely. All right.
0: Well, any other thoughts on value objects and or, or what we might need to know about how they're used maybe in other places that you've, you're you using in a Locad that aren't just passing around? Because right now, I think every time we've talked about value objects, it's been in the context of passing them as parameters and commands and events. But are, are there other very common places that you see them pop up that you've used them for?
1: Well, actually, even when you're doing domain, not domain-driven design, but writing some services in technical stuff, mm-hmm. some, I don't know, unit tests, uh, whatever, then I find out that introduction of value object, maybe like you're working with really technical stuff, but there are quite a few like a few variables that are always passed together, and they're used together, and they share, share a similar behavior that shows up uh, in a few multiple uh, places, and these vari- variables... Might happen to possess like specific meaning or sp- specific subtle meaning that you want to ex- to be expressed explicitly, then it is an opportunity for introducing value object. I see. Really good example from the .NET environment and .NET world. It's DateTime. So DateTime is a value object in uh, both in the sense of uh, programming language, it's a structure, and in the sense of uh, DDD, it's a concept which uh, like has some behaviors and it stores the data. I think it's uh, like in, a few, uh, in integer 64 mm-hmm. sticks. And if we didn't introduce the date time, then we would have to repeat over and over again. Like how do you add years? How do you add months? How do you convert to UTC time from local? And how do you format? Mm-hmm. And introducing this uh, really defined you know, concept they just saved us quite a lot of work, and if you uh, look further, there are lots of lots of value objects in the programming uh, in the .NET libraries, or like in your favorite Java, uh, Java, maybe JavaScript, which just help developers by providing higher abstractions, higher logical abstractions, and also encapsulating like uh, some complexity and some uh, really reusable specific.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would think it sounds like that's similar to what they might do in like system.drawing for shapes or something where you need to represent points in 3D space that, you know, you have circles and rectangles or something and you want to manipulate these objects on a drawing surface and instead of just representing that all with a bunch of integers or something, you, they, those value objects know how to interact with each other or whatever. I've never even used them, but it seems like that's what they kind of did. Yes, yes. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Values objects are a way to encapsulate behavior. Uh, not, not first, it is a way to express some concept, uh, which is considered to be important enough for the specific domain, uh, for the language, so that we bother uh, to figure it out and encapsulate. Mm-hmm. It, it will have like a really coherent word in the real world. And this behavior might also have, be associated with some data, and we might have some additional rules which are which we try to consider about this data and uh, this value object can help us to protect the data within uh, like data stored within this object saying okay if the data if the string is inside the email value object then it is always a valid email string yes uh, there one additional slight moment is that sometimes in certain UI-centric, like uh, in certain systems that are really tight linked to the UI, you might encounter a case where a user has to enter forms, like, for, for instance, field surveys. Uh, and in that case, one might be tempted to enforce quite a lot of rules on the UI side to uh, using value objects, like add-all rules. But maybe in these specific cases... It is more important to capture user feedback, no matter what it is, as opposed to making sure that the feedback is correct. So uh, for instance, if we have a form and it is important for us uh, to make sure like, for instance, if a user is, I don't know feeling satisfaction survey of uh, using lookCA services. And obviously uh, and let's, let's consider that I made a really dumb choice and asked him like do you like look at services using like string. Uh, text edit where he's supposed to enter yes or no and if i was really enforcing and pushing far i would add a uh, validation logic that says unless you type exactly yes in lowercase and no in lowercase like uh, the form will be preventing you from sub- submitting right <laughs> and have my karma curse for the next generations yes yeah, uh, so and- yeah then you're yeah.
0: adding your ifs so if da then you know <laughs> if whatever we
1: yeah so in this case, where uh, it is really important for us to capture the value at the way it is entered and th- maybe figure out the actual meaning later. Uh, another example of value objects that I've been using quite a lot in local systems, it's a uh, text float. So uh, we have to, for instance, integrate with various retail systems via the text files where this they're sending to us, for instance, their sales history. Mm-hmm. And as, we're, as I'm parsing this text files, I'm part, like there are, based on the loss of big numbers, sometimes it will be errors. Maybe a customer has sent the data in complete, uh, like, and turned it to the strings to be saved in text files using different uh, decimal separators or whatever. So I'm actually using text float, which is a structure which has either like a float field or a text field. And if we, while well, trying to parse a certain line in the, in the file, if I failed to parse it, Then the text float is in invalid state and it has the non parsed value. If I was uh, able to successfully parse the text value, then uh, the text float uh, says that, okay, that I'm valid, that I'm parsed, and that I have like the decimal or the actual float number, and we don't need to store the string value. Mm. And it really helps uh, when quite a few steps down the road in the processing pipeline, I actually need to first to display uh, the list of values that were not parsed and actually explain why were not they parsed. Yeah, that's a okay, really, really, really technical value object.
0: Yeah, but, I, but it's a it's a good example on the, the whole integration with other systems and the ma- the data mapping gymnastics you have to go through to make sure you're getting valid input from a third party and value objects can help you because you've put that layer of abstraction over that generic string of a number, you can throw it up the stream and give it some additional meaning instead of just bad. You know, it's like, this one's good, 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 bad, because whatever, you know, that kind of
1: stuff. So if I kept the string as parsable or non parsable stuff, uh, like everywhere in my code, I'll have maybe a pair of string and then um, pair a string with a float and maybe the uh, repeating logic saying, okay, the first argument is a string and it is null, then the text load was parsed. And this small bit of complexity would be repeating over and over and over again. Here, Mm -hmm. I just encapsulated this stuff once, and it can be used, uh, this specific case can be reused over and over again. So that's uh, like introducing value objects for repeating concepts, which are really important. It's uh, kind of a way to reduce complexity and to refactor your code. I like it. Uh, One last uh, final word. Just please don't overuse them. It's really easy uh, to make a turn, uh, code into a really complex and spaghetti mess by trying to come up with value objects out of thin air simply because there were like two variables that looked the same and they, that showed up in two uh, different places.
0: <laughs> is that kind of your rule of thumb is when you're looking around if it seems like there's a concept that seems repeating across the code. You, it's a candidate, but if it's shown up once, you might actually just pass a string.
1: Oh, uh, I'd say I'd stick with your approach. If introducing value object will make a better story in the code, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's worth the effort.
0: Okay. Well, you shouldn't have told me that because you just told me not to overuse it. Now, get ready, everyone, because you know, at least for the next 10 episodes until I get better at this, I'm going to be putting value objects and stories on every single word. You won't even you won't even be able to recognize a C-sharp because it won't even be the word int anywhere. I'll try not to do that, Renat, but I'll be replacing every C-sharp keyword with some new concept. <laughs> I'm kidding. I hope I don't do that, but uh, you never know. Uh,
1: makes actually uh, being the worst sample code base uh, into the only code base that is actually the most commented and readable code base I've ever worked on.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: Well, and actually, I have to scroll down a few screens when opening, for instance, uh, DDD sample. Uh, through a few screens of documentation and comments just to be able to get uh, to point to the actual code.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It it does actually get annoying for... I was actually trying to think of like... I want to make my own IDE where I basically sort of have IntelliSense pop-ups with my comments so I can, the code's clean, but I have a way to overlay, you know, I want like Google Vision on top of the code so I can see all the stuff when I want it, but make it go away when I don't want it. So, you know, so in six months when I forget everything you just told me, I could point my finger over to the screen and it reminds me of this paragraph on all these answers. So I'll work on that too.
1: (laughs) Okay. That sounds like it turned out to be a really interesting episode out of the listeners questions so i think that please keep them coming
0: yeah please keep them coming guys really relevant fundamental concept obviously and uh it was a great question but that means for those at the beginning who thought we were going to get a projections just kidding it'll be in the next episode but i swear i'm going to hit stop and Renat and i are going to take a quick break and start recording the episode on projections so it won't be too far behind so thank you again matthew for your question We will uh, see you guys in the next episode where we're talking about projections with sample code, I promise. Take it easy.
1: Talk to you soon, guys. Bye.